0: And do you have a wiki tweaks?
1: Yeah, I, I looked up the uh, the forty niners, Huey Lewis stuff.
0: Oh, great! I can't wait to talk about that and be surprised.
1: The tweaks don't have to be a surprise. We could we could actually act like we have some forethought. You know, it's not like what? we don't discuss what we're yeah. going to do. You can even say, "Hey Bob, hey Bob, I understand you have something to say about the forty ers Like you don't have to not know what I'm gonna say.
0: No, I just feel like if if, you were to, if we talk about it too much now, when it comes time to talk about it, it's going to seem true. Well, talk about it on, on That's why we're recording it now. I could splice this in. <laughs> I'm going to ask. I'm going to act really, really surprised <laughs> about your 49ers thing. I'm going to okay. be shocked. Okay. Hey everyone, ever, and welcome to 20th Century. Popcast, the show where we try to make sense of the present by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning, and welcome. And how are you, Tim? I'm okay. I'm, uh... I'm doing all right. it's it's I'm looking at my notes and I actually had a little little question I was gonna oh. ask at the top. but now I feel like I'm not segueing into it, so maybe it's, well, it's, it's dumb seems, plus it's a dumb question. Well, it seems like maybe perhaps we should
1: discuss these things ahead of time so we're not constantly just surprised by what might be happening
0: in in the show. like a like a shock, like if something came up that we didn't know. <laughs> That's about. right. Yeah, now I don't think I'm gonna read this either because it was just it was I was just gonna because i I did have this is a thought I had the other day, but it's one it's a thought that I had to know one. And I thought, oh that would be now because now what I do is all the time to think like oh, that would be great to to, to put on the show. That would be great to say that into the microphone. Well, that we'll observation. Say it then''t don't, don't, right, don't let me work up to it. okay um well, well I guess what the, what it was do you do you remember when TV seasons were a thing? i do remember you know, september to. to yeah to may i do and and sweeps yeah. sweeps, and week? sweeps weeks and then summer reruns you know maybe a yeah. mid-season replacement what happened to that i mean it's kind of there but like shows that i watch, some of them have already had their finale and and it's only april other shows are just coming on coming back or something in time for may through the summer yeah. is that is that worth asking no, yeah, that's something to look into. I don't I don't think I have
1: much insight into that. Um, I know that in a way there's financial reasons for it. Um, I understand. Like one thing that stood out to me, I heard uh, some writer friends talking to me about this. Uh, there'll be like a, a mid-season finale or a winter finale for a show mm-hmm. or a show will do like uh, eight episodes and then six months later – not really in line with any sort of television season, have six more episodes, and that would be considered the yeah. second half of the the season, even though it's so spread out. But the reason they did that is because uh, contracts would be season-long contracts. So you could pay someone the same rate for a year and a half, two years, if you spread it out and still call it a season. Um, now, I don't know if that has dictated what has become of our fall television season. Um, but that's, I'm sure something in play there.
0: Well, it's, I mean, a lot of it's probably a sales tactic cause you know, however you break stuff up, but the, they yeah, that idea of like a mid season finale that that's recent. Yeah. Like I know, shows would go on hiatus. I, that would happen a lot growing up. You know, like I think you'd watch a show up through Christmas, and then you'd have like three or four weeks of reruns, and then it would come back. Or sometimes a show would be off for a while. They'd do the mid-season replacement for six weeks, and that show would come back. I mean, all of those are things I remember from my childhood. But branding it something, calling it like you, "this is your mid-season finale" and then or whatever like that, I don't, I don't remember that being a thing before. I know that the season finale would be a big deal and a season premiere would be a big deal. But yeah, divvying it up that way, and I guess they leave you on a cliffhanger, but because television is serialized anyways and everything is pretty much always leading into the next episode, I don't know why it necessarily needs to be deemed that, created as an event that way. And I'm wondering, does that come from, is the idea of a shorter season what they're hoping for? Like even though you're getting a 24-episode season of, say, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when you break it up with the mid-season – is that tricking people into thinking it's an HBO show or a Showtime show? Yeah, it
1: might be. I mean, there's, I think there's a hyper awareness of the the tricks of the trade and and the expectations of the industry, um, and so yeah, they might just be playing into that. Um, yeah, because most cable
0: shows are like twelve episode seasons, and so At the most. I mean, yeah. even just six or eight throughout the year. Like, you'll get new shows in the summer, new shows in the fall. And it's nice. It's a nice rotation, but... Yeah, so maybe it's like the networks are just trying to
1: kind of come off as as more along the lines of those hip cable shows.
0: But is that impacting people? Like, do you think that is winning an audience back? Because aren't they playing to the audience they already have in saying mid season finale and things like that?
1: I would think so. I mean, it's strange. I mean, I can only really... Look at it from my own personal perspective, and I have stopped watching network television um, at least on the network. like I will stream some stuff and maybe binge watch some stuff after a few weeks uh, if it's on if if it's on a streaming service somewhere um, and and maybe that's part of it. Maybe they top load uh, 12 episodes and and have it out there so people can binge watch it during their longer mid-season break. Uh, and and maybe that's sort of dictating it is that people's viewing habits have changed. And so they, they do spread it out in a way that allows you to have these pockets of time to catch up and watch it
0: uh, on oh. your streaming service. That's interesting. It's, and I'm, I'm, I wonder if it changes how the shows are written. It definitely changes how they're promoted, but that I didn't really think about that. You can have these clumps or these segments where, People are watching six episodes as one episode, almost. That's you know the the, the yeah. definition, and we'll be talking about it with the episode today of, of binge-watching. It's interesting, I think. Yeah, for sure. For for, for sure, on this show. Well, <laughs> uh, that said, and, and some of it making it to air, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show, for those of you coming in. Um those of you coming in, uh, I'm sorry if you missed Brent. Last week, uh, we had a, th- a third guest. That was great, uh, wasn't it? I thought so. I he had, hope he's listening to hear he had you say that. But company I really enjoyed visited. it. We had Audible company. We had a, a three-way conversation, and yeah. uh, this week it's just the two of us again. So maybe what we'll do is we'll leave some dead space, and uh, you know we can we can cut him in later because I'm sure he had some things to say that we didn't use. But last last week, uh, topic wise, we were talking about Superman two, and so this week. Start off with our wiki tweaks segment, a segment of the show where we look back on some things we've said in past episodes and offer a little clarification or altering on what could possibly be considered facts um, this week we're talking about Superman two and uh if I may go first the, the, you know with last week 's episode still in mind. Uh, something we talked about last week was the idea that Superman 2 was one of the top grossing movies of uh, of 1980. In fact, I, I think we said it was in the top three of, of 1980. And, and I couldn't think of what else uh, it would have been in that year. I mean, Empire Strikes Back, I guess, would have been one, but I wasn't sure. So I, I went on to inter- the Internet Movie Database, IMDB, and mm-hmm. I looked up what the top three movies of 1980 were. Drum and, roll. Um, what, drum I don't have an actual no, drum yeah, roll. No, You're no. going to have to no, no I have to, to have download in. an MP3 of a drum roll I when know. you get a chance. I will. I just maybe I'll find one on SoundCloud. Um so the top movies were starting starting with number 3. And remember, we're thinking Superman 2 was one of the top movies we thought of the year it came out. So number 3, the top 3 movies in 1980 was Stir Crazy. Do you know that movie? Stir Crazy. Was that a Gene Wilder uh a Richard Pryor movie. It is that. I, that's all I know. It might be the one where Gene Wilder's in a chicken costume, if I'm remembering <laughs> the commercials well. But I've never seen it. But that, I mean, that was a number three movie of 1980, a comedy, and wow. a big comedy. That, that's 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 a shocker to me. Yeah, and it's shocking too um, because it's not. If it's a top movie of one
1: of the years of of our lives, and we don't really know much about it, and it's not really, um, a, it's. I wouldn't think it's a well-known film today. You know,
0: I don't know the point. I'm trying to make. Avatar of its time. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's the point we're trying to make. No, I think it's true. I think I mean again, this is this is coming up on 40 years ago at the same time, so maybe that's why. But yeah, you you would think having lived through it, we would be aware and have seen the the big movies. But uh, going on to number two, I think I'm going to continue proving that point wrong. The number two top movie of 1980 was Nine to Five. Another comedy, actually, another top. Top 10 comedy, the Lily Tomlin and what Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton movie, I think. Also has Dabney Coleman in it. Do you know this movie? I do know that movie.
1: That movie is more, yeah, like you're saying, that disproves my previous point. But that that one is more well known. I haven't seen the entire movie. It's one of those movies that I've seen enough to feel like I've seen it. But I don't think I've ever sat down, start to finish and watched a nine to five.
0: No, but it makes a little more sense. Like, I get why it might be in the top ten. That movie resonates. I think it was very much um, an early look at sort of sexism in the workplace. I think the idea of these three women, if I remember, it's kind of almost like a revenge film in terms of them getting back at their male boss. So, I mean, that's great that that drove an audience, that that brought in an audience. And and that has some cultural relevance. So I get why that's number two. But uh, 1980, the number one movie... And again, you know, you think over time what what resonates what doesn't. Uh what would you think the number 1 movie of 1980 might have been? I got to go with the the Empire Strikes Back. You'd be right. All which right, I guess is you know, yeah, so Empire Strikes Back top movie of 1980, of course it is. Of course it resonates. I think with all the Star Wars movies that have been released, only one has never been the number 1 movie of the year it came out and I believe that was Attack of the Clones in 2002. I think it was beat out by either The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, or a Harry Potter movie. But yeah, Mm. that makes sense. Top movies. But in that list, looking at that list for Superman 2, this 1980 blockbuster that we talked about, I was shocked to not find it in the top three. Top five? Shocked to not find it in the top five. Well, then top ten. Of 1980? Yeah. No. Wow. I am shocked. Well, this might shock you more. It is in the top three of... 1981 (laughs) so it did have a release date of december 4th 1980 but in this i didn't realize and i feel like this never happens anymore they staggered the release of superman 2 over a period of time and i guess the reason being they wanted to maximize the profits. so its official release date worldwide would be december 4th 1980 it was released in australia and then slowly, slowly over the next few months, it, it rolled into other European countries. But it wasn't until June first, nineteen eighty one, that it premiered uh, here in the states. Here, here in the United States. So, so it had been out for six months in Australia and other places. Do you think uh, the the controversy of the the edit on that
1: might have played a part? Do you think the version that that uh, premiered in Australia? Uh, six months prior to the U.S. Uh, was a different cut as, as the I'm, studio I'm was. i guess
0: they were the same cuts. I yeah. I think what they were, and I don't understand the logic behind it, but it, it, it purely seemed to be financial. Like the movie was finished December 4th, 1980, but I don't know why they were stretching out its release. I mean, that's possible. Nothing I read made me think that there were different versions in the theaters that were shown. But um, yeah, so that year, 1981, Superman Two was the number three movie of the year. Uh, Number two was On Golden Pond, which I think is probably, I think, is that a uh, Catherine Hepburn film maybe? I think it was the last film, hurrah, for a couple of very well-respected, well-known. Yeah, I think it was uh, Henry Fonda as well. Okay, which I've never seen. I know it exists. And the number one movie of 81 is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is great. Yeah. happy to hear that. But can you imagine, I mean, obviously not, like something, maybe it works in reverse now, because I think sometimes like Australia might get a movie after we do. But yeah. like six months that's, in between that's crazy. its debut and its arriving in America. I mean it's consider I guess it's considered a British production. It was filmed in, in England. It was filmed oh. at, at a studio in England. Maybe that's why, but it's through an American studio. So yeah, that's that kind of shocked me. Yeah, well it, the trend more so the, the trend now is is they call it day and date, where
1: the film will premiere around the globe at the same day and date, everywhere.
0: And that seems like that would maximize, you do that to maximize profits. So you look, you can look right away at, it made this much. Yeah. And if, and also that probably helps fight bad word of mouth in the sense that if a movie does, if a movie debuts somewhere and doesn't do well, by the time it gets to wherever it's headed, if that, Nobody if, wants if, to if see those, it. yeah, so see, so yeah, I don't understand the mentality behind this. I like the idea of it maybe. I like this idea of waiting for something but now with the internet yeah i don't think i would wait the six months i think i would have torn into well what happens in it what are the plot points and i think you'd be seeing bootleg copies and whatnot it's not something i think they would ever do now but yeah that's how movies worked yeah. back then so um yeah so but let's you got get into anything
1: our, well you know what i think we've talked um pretty well about a bunch of other stuff i i don't think this tweak is really all that great uh, that I have, right. so we don't we don't really have to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, I know I've ruined that because you were preparing some stuff for for this particular tweet. I've been
0: typing this whole time, meticulous <laughs> bits. I mean, I guess we of could how to perform surprise. I guess we could do That's it. All right.
1: and then you could decide to leave it in or not. I mean, uh, we're already you know uh, well into the today's episode, and we haven't talked about our our topic yet. That's true, and I'm
0: excited to talk about the topic. You are. Um, I am. Okay. So let's uh, <laughs> let's let's maybe do that. Uh, today, uh, we're talking about we are doing a binge podcast, which is uh, when we uh we go back and we we take a show from our youth or maybe a series of movies, but so far it's been shows. And something that we probably watched week to week, or maybe if it's an afternoon show, day to day, but we, we take a bunch of episodes and we watch them all at once, you know, all one after another. One after another. three episodes, three episodes. Yeah, I, don't think I, could, to, I
1: don't think I could handle watching all four episodes at one time. Like, you
0: don't think over, you have enough screens? Overlap, I mean, you've got a yeah.
1: laptop, you need a desktop, a I wouldn't phone, be able to TV. follow what's happening.
0: Actually, yeah. I probably wouldn't
1: been able to follow what's happening with this particular uh, series
0: i feel like with the series you might pink floyd it and it might line up just right the way that wizard of oz and pink floyd (laughs) lines up but uh yeah we were talking a little bit about binging shows before and how shows are written for that and the the the, this segment um it's to see how these shows one is to look back at these shows but to see how they hold up over that kind of viewing and if they lend themselves to, to binging and podcasting. And today we're talking about a cartoon, an animated cartoon series from 1986. that, I, And I totally remember the show premiering. I was so excited for this when it first premiered uh, on ABC, ABC television, Saturday mornings, 1986. We're going to be talking about the real Ghostbusters. Yes. So you were, antici- cart-
1: you were anticipating this uh, cartoon spinoff of the feature film.
0: Um, I was. Well, they, they advertised during the summer, um, you know, like watching cartoon reruns. There were there was a commercial that it was it was coming up. So I was very excited because, yeah, it's a spinoff of the 1984 uh, movie Ghostbusters, uh, which for me as a kid, I was when I saw it. Ghostbusters is a pretty big deal for me in general. Are you a fan of the original Ghostbusters movie?
1: Yes, very much so. Um, absolutely. Were you as a kid? Love it. Yeah, I was as a kid. And uh, I always remember, I have this very distinct memory of seeing a, a, I think it was on NBC actually, an NBC special about the making of Ghostbusters 2. Because I was such a fan of the first uh-huh. one, I was excited for the second one. And I remember <laughs> i remember Rick Moranis looking into the camera and saying, this is so much fun, I love making these movies, uh, I want to do it every week. Uh, we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it for NBC, we'll have a weekly show. And the idea of a of a weekly Ghostbuster show blew me away, and I thought that was such a great idea. And I w- wish that Rick Moranis had done that with the live, well, the live action, action show, the live saying. action Ghostbuster. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, it's like I would watch Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, you know, uh, the whole gang uh, do a show every <laughs> the week. Whole Ghostbusters, the, the whole gang. Ghostbusters gang, absolutely.
0: Well, and I think as a kid, I mean, my concept of those actors were yeah. This Ghostbusters, the original movie, was kind of my introduction to Bill Murray, Darren Akeret, and Harold Ramis. Yeah. Also Ernie Hudson and Rick Mor- and Rick Moranis. Um, but I think for the the, the three initial Ghostbusters, uh, the Peter Ray and, and Egon, those three actors, those three comedians, are big deals in eighties comedy, seventies and eighties comedy, and they're they're big, they've had big impacts on my life. And yeah, Ghostbusters would have been my introduction to them. You know, from Ghostbusters, I probably followed their work and recognized them from other things. So shortly after the movie came out, because the movie came out in 1984. And actually, I, I, I do have to admit, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. Ghostbusters is probably in my top three favorite movies um, of all time. In the summer of 1984, when it came out, I did go to see it. I did go to the theater, not knowing much about it, to see it for uh, Dave Wheaton's birthday party. It was Pete Rival, myself, Dave Wheaton's mom, and, and me. Did I say myself twice? I probably did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to see Ghostbusters, and I did not see the whole film in the theater because I was very uh was—I was very scared. I was very scared by the original movie Ghostbusters. I yeah. found it funny. But every time a ghost was going to show up, the ghost in the library, Slimer was coming at Peter Venkman, or whenever I thought something was going to happen, I would cover my eyes. I was just scared for this movie. So halfway through the movie Ghostbusters, to spoil this this 33-year-old film for anyone who hasn't seen it, they, they have an ecto-containment grid, which is where all the ghosts are stored. And halfway through the movie, it blows. It, it explodes, yeah. and all the ghosts get out. There's a little, like, alarm flashing, in there, and we know the ghosts are about to get out. And when that happened in the film... That went off. The light flashes. I remember saying, "You know what? I'm going to go wait in the lobby. I'm fine. I'm just going to wait in the lobby." And I left. And there's still half How a movie old to go. You? I think I had covered my eyes. I would have been eight years old when this movie okay. came out. Yep. So I just sat in the lobby. How polite lobby of you! How polite myself. of you for
1: an eight-year-old.
0: I'm just picturing well, I was you there getting up.
1: know, yeah, I'll be. I'm just going to step
0: out. I mean, I know all the points I covered my eyes at the library ghost when they opened the refrigerator and the terror dog was in there. I remembered Slimer from the commercials. So when they first got to the um, firehouse, I remember thinking, oh, this is probably where that green ghost is. For some reason, I was scared because I I was a big paranormal fan. I mean, I grew up loving the unexplained ghosts, UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness Monster was the first thing that ever really fascinated me. And I remember getting books out of the library and reading it. Right. Just this possible unexplained thing that that's out there, this thing to believe in that may or may not be out there. It was a dinosaur, so that was interesting to me, too. And the section of the library that had the Loch Ness Monster book was just, I think it was just called The Unexplained. You know, it was a small section, but it had books on Bigfoot, so I'd get yeah. those books, and it would have books on ghosts, so I'd get those books in UFOs. So I worked it, on, it my those way
1: through giant it. Ripleys, believe it or not, in those sections, too. And that, yeah, they that, those. that, that didn't always have... Uh, um, uh, What am I trying to say? It didn't always have paranormal stuff, uh, but it was just kind of interesting, neat stuff sometimes. Were they like comic
0: strips, the Ripley's books? I don't know if I remember those actually, or were they fact, like just pages and pages of information? The
1: one I remember was like a, an encyclopedia type of thing. uh, Like a Guinness book or
0: something. Yeah. Kind of like the Guinness books. That kind of stuff was interesting to me. And so I was drawn to it. I was also kind of scared of it, but by 1984, I would have been reading a lot about ghosts, but scared of the movie, sat in the lobby And again, at that point, there's probably a half hour of the movie left at that point. You know, it's only like an hour and a half film anyway. So I just sat out there by myself. I remember it very well. They all came out and they were just laughing and saying that movie was the best. That movie was the best. And we went to friendlies. For some ice cream and I remember just sitting there as these two kids and their mom recounted the movie you know, oh, the marshmallow man, oh, he got slimed and they would say, that, you know, there's so many catchphrases in that movie, yeah. it's what Ivan Reitman the director I think once called it a big t-shirt movie because there were so many shirts that summer with lines and you know they were just talking about the movie with such passion and I was sitting there, not cursing myself because I didn't swear but I guess darning myself for having left because yeah. you know, I felt like I should have been brave I should have braved it through, because look how rewarding this movie would have been. You know, they're loving it. And that summer, I remember I got a Ghostbuster shirt. You know, all I could think about was the idea of Ghostbusters, but I had not seen the whole thing. But enough of the concept and watching these two friends of mine enjoy it impacted me to the point that the following summer, 1985, uh, my family took a trip. I think it was to Washington, D.C., and we were in a hotel, and you used to be able to, probably still can, you could order a movie to watch on, on TV. And I remember Ghostbusters was one of the offerings on the movie, and I said, we've got to order this, Ghostbusters. It's the funniest film. We have got to see it. And so we watched it on a small TV in a hotel room with my family there, and I made it through the movie. I made it through this movie. My dad was laughing. My mom was laughing. My, my brother was laughing. I don't know what my sister, I don't remember what she made of it, and I just enjoyed it. I loved it. And I loved it because the characters were funny. I loved it because of the jokes. But I think a big draw of the original Ghostbusters movie to me was it was kind of, to watch that movie, that was my introduction to the idea of a um, of a career choice. You know, watching that movie is the first time I could really think of that. I was like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. A Ghostbuster. Was the thought. Well, something along those lines. Like, I, you know, I was this big Supernatural fan. And I was watching in this movie, they were making sort of a science out of ghosts. Yeah. You know, they, they yeah. it was kind of like they were a real thing. It was an acknowledgement in the fictional movie that they were a real thing. I believed in ghosts. And there was this group of guys, and they're starting a business. And it just made me think of, you know, there must be a professional approach to ghosts, you know, that they're real. Right. They had that Tobin spirit guide. And I, I remember thinking that was a real thing. And so... Yeah, I think as kids do, when you play act, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster as a job. But I think, and this stuck with me for a while after that. I think what I really wanted to do was be like, you know, a researcher of the unexplained. Right. Cool. So that that hit me as a kid and stuck with me. So Ghostbusters was pretty prominent. But I mean, do you think that's, do you, do you look at the movie Ghostbusters as a kid's movie? I don't really
1: think of it as a kid's movie. Um no, I think it's a teenagers movie, sure um, and that's probably when no well, no I must have like i don't I don't have that memory of of this is the first time I saw ghostbusters Ghostbusters for me like a lot of things just were around, and okay. I would watch or catch glimpses of it here or there'd be like i'd be i had a babysitter uh where I would go after school who had h b o And not a lot of – it it was strange. She watched a lot of kids uh, in her home. And I don't think she really should have left uh, access (laughs) to HBO on her TV. But uh, I got to watch a lot of things I probably shouldn't have at my age. And I think Ghostbusters was one of those things. Um, So – (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't, well, it's, I don't, it's weird. I, it's weird that you say that. Cause I remember, um, you were talking about Ghostbusters two a second ago when that movie came out. I remember Sigourney Weaver. I think she was on maybe the tonight show or the senior hall show or some talk show. And I remember her saying her quote being that Ghostbusters is the ultimate babysitter movie. That is the movie you can put on, and kids love it. Huh. And, and, you know, Ghostbusters came out in the summer of 1984. We we talked a bunch of episodes back about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, also coming out that summer, Gremlins coming out that summer. Yeah, that movie as it is would probably be rated PG-13, had that rating been there. but. Right. I don't know. I have always thought of it as a kid's movie. All of my friends loved it. We played Ghostbusters on the playground when I watch it now. And even when I was watching it with my family, you know, I realized that my dad's laughing at stuff that maybe I don't get. And all these performers in the movie, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Howard Ramis, they're coming from second city. They're coming from Saturday night live. I mean, this movie in a lot of ways was the big budget kind of finale or summation of seventies, anti-comedy 70s sketch comedy 70s drug comedy like all of it sort of was you know was underground in the theaters on you know stages in the 70s and it got on the tv in the late 70s with shows like saturday night live and sctv and as the 80s started all of these performers from these shows these anti-comedian comedians as they were started getting movie roles started you know working their way into the pop consciousness and so by the mid 80s as they were all entering their 30s and maybe mellowing out, maybe starting families, their last hurrah, I feel like the last hurrah of really what 70s comedy and these greats was, is this movie Ghostbusters. And it's accessible to kids, I think, because of the topic, because of the fun gadgets, and just because, I don't know why, actually, but it really does, to me it plays like a kid's movie. So it makes sense that it eventually led two years later 1986 to a kid's cartoon yes a very very kid's cartoon well very much I, and kids. i guess maybe maybe that's something to to start with first of all first of all you do remember the show you, you said you did watch yeah, it. yeah I,
1: I did watch it um i watched it a lot i can't remember if it was a daily show or a weekly show was it a saturday it wasn't a saturday show was it or well, that's it? What's,
0: what's interesting. It, it, it's, it was both. It started as a Saturday morning show. It premiered on ABC in September of 1986. And I remember that because it was on and every Saturday I, w- I was, I would be so excited for this fucking show. I believe the following year 1987, or even maybe later in 86, it also went to five days a week. Okay. So it was on in the afternoons. There was the Saturday morning ones and then the afternoon episodes would air. And as a child, this struck me as odd. Because I always thought there are Saturday morning cartoons and there's day of the week cartoons and never should those cross. You know, don't cross those strings, <laughs> no. so to speak. So this this was something new to me. But also, and this was maybe when I started. I don't think I always really, as a kid, animation is exciting. And varying quality of animation doesn't impact me as a kid. Like maybe I would notice, well, that drawing of Tom of Tom and Jerry is a little different from this one. Like I, I would notice those things, right. but. Watching the show on Saturdays and watching it during the week, I definitely felt like there was a difference in the animation style. I think when it premiered on ABC, I think there was a premiere animation studio putting these episodes like the ones we watched for today together. And then I think during the week, the animation would vary a little bit or the quality would vary. It was always a very moody show, a very, you know, atmospheric show. But there was a difference between those. So, yeah, you're not sure if you remember watching it weekdays or on the weekends.
1: Yeah, I don't recall, like, specifically. I, f- I feel like, much like a lot of my childhood, it just was there, you know? Like, <laughs> um, So I probably watched both um, and didn't distinguish between the two, uh, you know? It just blended in. Um, certainly looking back, it all blends in. Uh, but I did, I did watch it. I watched it a lot. I watched it for,
0: I don't know if I watched it for its entire run. I didn't realize it was on for so long. Um, yeah, I did not. I probably only watched it for about two years and I loved it yeah. and then probably just drifted away. Yeah. Um, do you think it's a good representation of the movie? Like when you were going in to watch it for the first time as a kid, had you seen the movie before you saw? Yeah, TV I had show? seen the movie
1: before I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was a pretty decent I mean, representation. I mean, I think it toned everything down and made <laughs> things a little sillier. Um, although I don't know at the time if I realized that. I thought... Um, and plus, for me, I also had seen the other Ghostbusters cartoon.
0: Oh, the Filmation one.
1: Yeah. Uh, with, <laughs> that premiered
0: around the same time, I think, possibly the same. Time. What Was that an older show that they just brought back? Or was it... it um. So there's an addition to... The reason the show is called The Real Ghostbusters is when... In 1984, when the movie Ghostbusters was coming out and, and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis had that as the title... Um, there was within, I didn't know this at the time, but within Hollywood, there was some question and maybe even a lawsuit towards the fact that in the 1970s, Saturday morning had a lot of live action shows like Sid and Marty Croft, uh, HR puff and stuff shows. There was a show back then called ghostbusters. That was about two characters and a gorilla who hunted live action vampires and ghosts. And it was a comedy. It was a half hour show, but it was called ghostbusters. Yeah. So when the movie Ghostbusters was filming, that got called into question, I think, because that is kind of a taking of a title on um, whether or not they knew it existed. And I believe whoever it was that originally this, I'm in a gray area of all the facts here, so I'm not sure. But this 1970s live action Ghostbusters show, whoever had the rights to that realized that, well, when this 1984 movie is big, this name. This, this, you know, I guess brand is what we would call it now, would have some attention. So they rushed into production a filmation cartoon based loosely on the 1970s Ghostbusters show with the same characters in the Gorilla. And it was the same company that did like He-Man and She-Ra. So that was a five-day-a-week show called Ghostbusters, and they had the rights to the name Ghostbusters. They could call it that as the cartoon because it was getting on the air first. Mm-hmm. So that was airing, and that was kind of a goofier show definitely in the vein of a he-man show there were a lot of reoccurring villains on that so this real ghostbusters cartoon added the real as one i think probably because legally they had to distinguish themselves but also kind of as a dig to this other show right this other cartoon right and having seen that
1: other cartoon um and then seeing the real ghostbusters then yeah i mean it was it was obvious to to a kid that it is from that movie it's a representation of the characters from that movie because it's clearly not something else. It's it, it's what it's what I expected and and I think I remember being so so confused and maybe even a little scared as a kid because I just didn't know what was going on that there were two Ghostbusters <laughs> and and one of them you know traveled in a car like a jalopy and uh, it was crazy um, but uh, yeah um, I thought it was a good representation of the movie um, from a kid's imagine point if you had
0: watched four episodes of that other one. If that's a uh, would uh, watch, which, which episodes, we should do
1: someday, it? I didn't. I remember as a kid not minding that show. I enjoyed that show as a kid. I don't know. I did not how, like how it, it as up. a
0: kid. Um, well, those are two different views, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I did not care for it as a kid, and I think it's because I looked at it as a childish version, because Ghostbusters was so precious to me. Sure. I've recently watched the opening, and some of the designs are cool, and the character designs are actually decent, but yeah, it's, okay. it's a different kind of show. But this show, coming out of the movie, yeah, it's definitely the movie. And I think, as a kid, for me, a lot of that was it has a lot of the same sound effects. You know, there's all the familiar sounds of the Ecto-1, their car's sirens, the sound of when the trap is... Is going to explode. Yeah, you know, I liked, all the equipment is there. The equipment
1: was what really drew me back to the movie while I was watching these episodes. Um, the equipment was because the characters are augmented a bit. Um, their voices are obviously mm-hmm. not the, the actors from the movie. Um, so yeah. it's like the equipment for me, <clears throat> and the ghosts are different too. Um, so the equipment for me was the thing that really tied it together. I thought because that was the thing that was the same like there wasn't really anything different about it it, it had the same look the, the uh the the handle on the trap was exactly how it was in the movie and i don't know why the design of the trap has always been very cool to me
0: <laughs> i drew it a lot as a kid oh yeah so yeah why
1: is it that we're drawn it's to like the it. trap that's
0: interesting cool I mean, I think the draw of the original movie and this cartoon, I think a lot of it is, again, it's the technology. It's a working, loose, scientific explanation yeah. of how these things work. The proton wands, which are the guns that they hold, are attached to the proton packs. Neutron, neutrona wands, sorry, are attached to the proton packs. The proton pack generates some energy. The wands shoot what are basically lassos, kind of like rope. And you uh-huh. in the movie you have to catch the ghost between the two wands on the show I think you could catch a ghost with just one, one wand and you're roping them in it's almost cowboy like and the trap it's a cool thing because it's got a lot of lights to it it's got the security tape on the side and it's just it's exactly what it is it's an ecto containment unit I mean even the wording is exciting all the the, the parapsychology phrasing yeah. yeah. and it's just cool in their car with all the different hoses and, and, and doodads on the roof I mean Again, it's just what a career, you know, what a scientific sure. way of approaching this thing that was important to me to believe in ghosts. Ghosts are real. I was sure of it. And I would get frustrated when people said they weren't. So all that equipment. Yeah, I'm glad that that all made it over to the show and was used and had the same sounds. And that's a big part of it. As for the the, the, the characters, yeah, you don't think they looked like the the characters they were based on? Do you think like the four Ghostbusters and Janine look at all, like the actors who portrayed them in the no, movie. No,
1: they they do. They they're just softened. I guess it's not like you you realistically drew uh, Bill Murray. You have a softened <laughs> version of Bill Murray. You have a softened uh, version of Egon. Egon wasn't blonde in the movie. Uh, you know. So there's like aspects that, but they're all generally the same. <clears throat> they're just it's weird. They're like just kind of softened.
0: Yeah, I I do feel like the Egon looks... You're right, he is blonde. Like, I always... I don't think I made the connection that the hair was different as a kid because I thought, oh, that looks like Egon. Ray looks like a later-day Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it fit for some reason. Winston doesn't have a mustache, does he? Which I think Ernie Hudson does, if I'm remembering right. So that didn't look the same there. None of them and smoke. Peter, none of them smoke, <laughs> that's true. And Peter doesn't... I feel like he does not look like bill murray no but and it's interesting though i i the voice work for these characters i don't you know i think a big thing was watching a tv show that's about human beings is kind of odd you know these are normal looking people for the most part on a spectacular show and their voices everyone always sounds almost tired it's very (laughs) low-key performances which works and I think that's sort of a carryover from the movie, right, and also it's this idea of New York in the eighties, like nothing bothers us, but it it was very watching the show and listening to them talk. I was just like, this is so strange because there's a lot of just whispered lines or rambling lines or lines that get lost. I mean, there's a lot of one-liners, obviously it's taking a cue from the show and, and it's making it or from the film and making it very funny. But yeah, the voice work on the show it's is so very fascinating funny to me
1: it, Did you say very funny? I mean, I could
0: understand
1: the funny, show but very funny?
0: As a kid, I thought so. I, I sure, As a kid, okay. I think because they don't end every episode of everyone laughing and slapping them on the back. They don't end, <laughs> you know, people don't laugh at each other's jokes. They're just making jokes, and they're making statements. And a lot of it is character-driven, which I really enjoyed. I I, I feel like everyone gets a chance to be funny, say something funny. And then there's situational like, yeah, I, I, I actually think it was a very comical show. I think the comedy on the show takes what the movie had, which is like bizarre situations and normal people facing it down. Yeah. Uses the one liners. And then I feel like there's actually a lot of good bits in this show. You know, there's uh there, we haven't really gotten into the episodes really, but there's, there's a lot of verbal wordplay. There's a ghost in one episode, uh, which was my favorite episode, Mrs. Rogers' Neighborhood. The the ghost that they're, they're hunting in that, his name is Watt, W-A-H-A-T-T, I think. And so the joke throughout the episode is whenever somebody says the name Watt, it's like a who's on first thing. Like, what? What do you mean, yeah. what? what? And so it's this back and forth kind of thing. And that, I remember that as a kid. I remember thinking that was so funny yeah. to the point that there's actually, and it's just, there's an exchange where they're trying to get in touch with Janine, the secretary, and they can't. And Peter asks, "I wonder what's jamming the frequency?" And Ray's very serious response to that is, "Yes, she is." Like stuff like that. I think it was very clever for a kid's show. It was just smart sure. wordplay. And then there's just some bizarre, almost sketch-like stuff. There's a scene in another episode where they're tra- uh, called Slimer Come Home, where they and we'll get, we should get into Slimer in a second. But they're trying to find one of the, their their friends, Slimer, the ghost in the city. And Ray sits down and Egon comes over and says, Ray, I don't know why you're sitting down. We have to find our friend. And and Ray said, you know, I've been thinking like everyone's always looking for stuff. I bet if I just sat down in one place, everyone I've ever known would would find me. And Egon kind of has a response that that's a ridiculous idea. And then this car pulls up. Someone waves from it and Ray's like, hey, that's my fifth grade, whatever, English teacher, whatever. And the car drives away. And it has nothing to do with the episode. It really is just like a cutaway gag. Yeah that they threw into this show. And I feel like that sense of humor wasn't something like I was used to slapstick, Looney Tunes, cartoons, things like that. This show felt like an adult show, even the way it was animated. Like there's a lot of low angles. There's a lot of cutaways to people's, you know, different perspectives of how people are reacting and listening. There was a lot of just the, how it was paced. That was very different. I think from other shows at the time, other cartoons at the time. Okay. I, and and I, it, you you don't feel the same. I don't feel the same. I mean, I agree. I mean, they there
1: there were there were some good bits. Yeah, uh, I that was probably my favorite bit from the four episodes was when uh, he sat there and, and waited for people he knew to to show up. Um, but overall, what what I was thinking as I was watching it, I honestly was wishing that uh, my schedule had worked out that I could watch it with my kids, because to <laughs> me it was you're calling it an adult show to me it felt more like a kid show um Mm -hmm. more so than 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 even he-man in a way that we recently watched because i feel like it had more slapstick and goofy like i thought it was goofier than i remembered it (laughs) being um and certainly with slimer um that's just slapstick and goofy and and gibberish and and th- I mean oh. there was another funny bit. There was you know like it, it had its moments. Um <clears throat> I liked when Slimer in that same episode uh wrote a going away note that was was just scribbles and uh Janine was able to read it because she's a secretary she can read anything. <laughs> so that was
0: funny. I- uh, I also just like that scene because it's like a sad scene. He's saying goodbye to everyone. It's sad music. He writes his note. And after he writes the note, he eats the pencil. Yeah. And then he just leaves. But the, like, it doesn't break to be like rim shot or something. Right. He just does it. Right. Uh, what? So Slimer, <laughs> a major character of this cartoon, and you're right. I think something that the part that I would say is definitely aimed at kids is there's the green ghost to Slimer that probably everybody remembers and knows who is part of this cartoon he's based on a ghost that's in the movie the first ghost they actually capture in the movie who's just this gluttonous green blob i I think class five full i forget what they call in the film um but so they catch him in the movie and you know people liked that character in the movie because it was a funny looking ghost it's where the he slimed me line comes from right with no explanation in these episodes, and I think had we watched a few more episodes, there is actually an explanation to why he's there. Slimer lives with them at the firehouse. Slimer is a character on the show. He's on their side. He's kind of like their mascot or their pet. And as a kid, that was fine. But in watching the show now, like, Slimer is kind of a tragic character for this show. Like, I know he's supposed to be funny, and he was. I thought it was going to be really annoyed by him because of of how he talks and his cuteness. But he's actually, the voice work is funny. What he does is funny. But I'm unsure of his place because, in a way, he's he's a ghost who's turned his back, like, on all the other ghosts. True. You, You know, like, he, and that's why I don't understand why that is. What's his place there? Like, they're not bothered by him he exists there, but then like there's the, the epi- he gets a spotlight episode where he, yeah, we were saying like he runs away from home and he joins. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, Oliver twist situation. He, he joins these other ghosts who are being courted into powering this one main ghost. And, and I don't know there there's something about that. Slimer definitely became the big character. And eventually the show became Slimer and the real ghostbusters. I don't know if you remember as the series went on it eventually expanded to an hour and there was, Half an hour, which was all Slimer episodes, done in a more cartoony style, and then half an episode that were Ghostbuster episodes. Do you think he was necessary? I mean, on that one episode he was. But do you think the show could have existed without him being there?
1: Oh, absolutely. The The show could have, for sure. Just like uh, He-Man could exist without Orko. He's, he's the Orko of this, uh, of this series. Um, the movie existed without him.
0: He had a different role in the movie. He was a villainous ghost. He was something. He right. was a pest. They had to hunt him right.
1: down. Right, and so it wasn't necessary to, to the cartoon. But I, you know, you absolutely know why he's there because he was a, a standout character in the movie. And so they wanted to get that character involved. Um, and I think, from a cartoon, a Saturday morning cartoon perspective, y- y- especially you know compared to a lot of cartoons from that era, you had to have that kind of character that. That really kid centric uh, goofball character that that well mm-hmm. there's an actual story going on and, and some clever dialogue going on there also has to be that one thing that's just gonna make a kid laugh because he eats a pencil or gets you know <laughs> slime
0: slime on a character yeah I know and, and you're right and I guess he is kind of the Orko character and I liked Orco as a character and I liked him in these I just I wonder. That's where the show, I feel like, feels like a kid's show to me. I know you're saying the whole thing feels like a kid's show. I want to get approach that because, you know, looking at it as an adult, sure. But as a kid, when I watched the show, this cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, I feel like, is a legitimate horror show for kids. I think in a lot of ways, this cartoon is scarier than the movie. I think the design work, like most of the ghosts, are actually kind of frightening. There's a weird... There's definitely a weird body horror David Cronenberg thing going on in yeah. the designs of all these ghosts. Like, everything has such giant teeth Yeah. or uh, arms coming out of weird places. There's, There's the like, episode we were talking about with Slimer. The main ghost is sucking other ghosts into a mouth in his stomach. Yeah, that, has was, teeth. Like that was disturbing. You're right. It's a, it, it's The, it's, the it's, designs are creepy.
1: Because, yeah, and I went back and forth. It's like, I wish I had watched this with my kids. But then at the same time, because I was watching it last night. Uh, I was watching it in the evening. And... Uh, they were
0: Spooky just evening. Th-
1: yeah yeah they were just going to bed, and it's like okay if I did watch this with my kids it wouldn't be at night because I don't want these images uh, fresh in their memory as they're laying in their dark room uh, trying so to. You just think asleep. it would be scary for them? Oh yeah, it, it would be scary. It would be them. scary for them um, now, I, at that hour. I, I at that hour. I think hmm. if it was like a Saturday morning show and then we were watching it, they might get a little freaked out by it. But you know, it, it, they would have a different reaction. Um, because it's daylight, you know. I mean, darkness always makes everything scarier. Um, but yeah, no, it's creepy. I, they were like, I remember in one of the episodes there was like this weird, and it's just flashes of them sometimes. It's nothing they really lingered on. I mean, some of them they did, but some were just zipping by in these episodes. And and every once in a while, I saw this weird oblong ghost creature which had a tiny head, but two
0: back legs that were like horses. It was strange. Mm-hmm. No, it was scary. Like I really, and this is why, as a kid, I definitely embraced the show because I, I didn't, I didn't have any scary programs that I really watched. And again, it was a cartoon on in the morning, Saturday mornings, or maybe the afternoon um, during the week. And it's cut by a lot of comedy. But um, I, I, I feel like this was a great horror show. And again, it, it fleshed out the horror elements more than the movie did. I think and it's again, it's because it's episodic. They it can do it every episode of the four episodes. We watched my favorite one, and it was a f- favorite from childhood too. So I'm glad it was in this, this group, uh, the episode, Mrs. Rogers neighborhood. You know, if we're going to talk about an episode, maybe we can talk about this one. Um, it's basically, it's a haunted house episode. It's set up that they get a call at the firehouse. Every episode, of the cartoon, at least that we watched, they all kind of have that teaser at the beginning. Usually it's at night where you get an inclination of what the ghost is going to be. It's a little creepy. You know, like how the X-Files would do it. Yeah, Here's I, actually the thought, paranormal thing. I
1: actually thought for this episode, the beginning of this episode was very X-Files. Um, just the way it, it set it up and the tone of it, uh, the shadows and everything.
0: Yeah, I think they all they would they begin with what the paranormal thing is and then you cut into the hilarity of the ghostbusters and then they get involved cuz they get a call. I mean, that's it's a good setup. They have a purpose so every episode works that way. Um, but yeah, this one it was it you know, it's your traditional haunted house, they even make jokes about that. But when they get to the house, um it gets them out of the city, it gets them into the suburbs and it's just it is legitimately eerie. Yeah. Like there's a lot of low angles there's a scene where there's just this stream. I think they call it a transmigration of ghosts going from one wall to the other. And the visuals, they're all very spectral and expanded and skeleton-looking. And they're all wailing and moaning. And these hands kind of come out of the wall. I mean, that stuff was legitimately eerie. Peter Venkman gets possessed in this one. He gets possessed by the character creature Watt, which is a very scary-looking, long snouted demon. And his possession is... is pr- was a little unnerving. Like it's cool. Cause he cast as he's walking, he's casting the creature's shadow and then he's fighting to regain control. And he screams and fear like that is a legitimate moment of peril yeah. in this cartoon. And I, I definitely, as a kid, there was this idea of stakes. It's a big deal what they're going against. It's not just, and this is the, the filmation ghostbusters, the other ghostbuster cartoon that we talked about. It was, it was goofy ghosts, you know, comical, whatever the, the ghosts and these episodes for the most part, are legitimate threats. Like there's, there the world in each of these episodes, the world's safety is at stake, and that probably gets ex- exhausting if it's every episode. Right. Um, but and that's the thing. Like I, watching these in a row, there is a lot that repeats. There is some repetitive aspects. Like I think almost every episode, the containment grid was going to explode. Right. Um, every episode, you find the main ghost is gathering other ghosts to build up power. Um yep every episode the world's in danger you know so that even even like the background music was was very
1: similar there was always in each episode that we watched there was a a brief montage of action set to some female vocal led pop song which <laughs> yes. which i think was original to that episode i don't think it came from anywhere and, uh, yeah,
0: we should talk about that because <laughs> cartoons do this from time to time. Scooby Doo did it in the 60s. Yeah. They did it then. Yeah, they did these weird, like they all felt like they were, you know, this is my not Madonna song. This is my not <laughs> Debbie Gibson song. Yeah. Like, but it is odd to have pop music playing over these montages. I didn't like it as a kid. That was my least favorite part. But <laughs> it stands what's out. weird about that is. It stands out, and as a kid, I made the connection of, oh, like the movie soundtrack. Yeah, okay. because you know, Ghostbusters has a movie soundtrack. It has songs that play over scenes. So does this. But it is weird. Like, who is that musician? Right. <laughs> Did right. they have a career outside of that? What happened to those tracks? I, Are they I thought of you because a lot of them had
1: some saxophone solos, and I was like, oh, Timmy and the I Horns. Yeah,
0: I, I rolled my eyes a lot <laughs> to that. But yeah, watching these in a row, it's they're formulaic shows. Yeah. And but it's a good formula, I think. I mean, I I feel like, <sighs> and this is why, and we should talk about this then because I do feel like, it, yes, it's a kids show. That's that's unavoidable. But it's a pretty mature kids show, especially when it was coming out. I there there wasn't anything else on television like this for me. One, it was I think maybe the first one of the first animated adaptions of a movie I had seen. You know, I think the year before I probably would have seen the droids and Ewok cartoons. So that was kind of new for me, but I really feel like it, you know, as a kid, I'm watching these adult characters and I feel like the the plots allowed themselves to get a little dark. Now you're dealing with demonology. You're dealing with, you know, spectral beings and the apocalypse you know, they. I loved it every time they pulled out Tobin's spirit guide and they would read from it. Like there were all these things about these demons. That it was a such a darker show. I think that's why I think it was very adult for a child, and then they cut it with humor. Like it was well balanced. It did do and mimic what the movie did, and to some degrees, I guess, I feel like maybe it does it better if that's what you're going to. You know, because the Ultimately, at the end of the day, the movie Ghostbusters is just a comedy. It's funny. It's exciting, but it's funny. It's got good effects. It's got some good concepts, but it's just a comedy about these characters, not just. That's a great thing to be. The cartoon is still, you got that camaraderie among everyone. The four Ghostbusters, Slimer and Janine are all very close. And it's funny, but there is, I feel, legitimate scares in it. And it sounds like you feel that a little bit. You were cautious about whether or not your daughters could watch it. Yeah,
1: I feel that. Yeah, there, there were some legitimate scares. The designs obviously were creepy. Um, I, I still feel like everything was softened from the movie. Um, the designs mm-hmm. are creepy, um, but they weren't, they weren't anything like the ghosts. I mean, it's safe for Slimer, but even Slimer is more cartoony. But they weren't anything like the ghosts in the movie which were human-like and, you know, bones and, you know, uh, glowing and and just, there was more of a decrepitness, I guess, to the ghosts in Ghostbusters, um, whereas the cartoon had a creepy weirdness to them. Like you're saying, it's like, these they were, they were like animals, more like animals than people, um, mm-hmm. which is creepy. And like you said, like there's the one that kept standing out, I think, in the um, the Slimer come home episode, just this wide mouths grin, like these human teeth grin on this weirdly shaped goblin type creature with feet, like it's basically a mouth running around with feet, yeah, which is creepy, but not the kind <laughs> of scary that that uh i that the movie had uh like the creepiest thing for me in the movie was the taxi when the the taxi driver turns around and it's just this uh decomposed skeleton uh that that's the kind of scary that that gets me that's the kind of creepy that gets me this gets me but in a weird in a different kind of way um in a it gives me the shivers kind of like that shouldn't <laughs> exist whereas um the movie ghosts are like – that could exist and that is kind of creepy and scary to me. Like, Isn't if, the shivers and something not having exist, isn't that scarier? I, I don't know. Not to me. The, to me, I, I was more scared by the fact that, that the ghosts in the movie are what I was worried about coming into contact with. I don't think I'd uh, come into contact with what's in the cartoon. Like I didn't think
0: I have such the opposite. I mean it's reaction. it's creepy
1: and it's disturbing,
0: but I wasn't afraid of it. Does that make sense? It does. I think I just have different feelings about it. I mean, obviously when I first saw the movie I was scared of the movie. But what I realized is that scare is more of the anticipation. Yeah. Like I you know, like the in the movie the legit to me the one legitimate scare in the original ghostbusters movie is the very first ghost you see when that libra- that old librarian bursts into that skeleton thing with the big mouth and and le- leers at them and they run that is legitimately scary i feel like that's the only scary moment in the movie and I think as a kid, when I left the theater, it was just because I was anticipating something scary is going to happen. Something scary is going to happen. Here's a loud sound, you know, yeah. here, you know, there's all the builds, like she's going to open the refrigerator. What's in the refrigerator? The trap's going to blow. What's in the trap? Something's coming around the corner. So those, that anticipation, that's fine. And that's fun. And I, it made me nervous in the theater, but the very next year, because I knew it was a comedy and I heard people laughing. Like, I don't think I went into Ghostbusters originally knowing it was a comedy when it came out in 1984. But once I heard my friends were laughing, I was fine with it, and I love the movie, but I don't think of Ghostbusters as, like, comedy horror. I just think of it as comedy. This cartoon, I find the ghosts in this cartoon, and again, maybe it's because everything's drawn. Maybe because everything can fit in the world because it's a cartoon. I find them far more terrifying and unnerving. There's so many more of them. Uh, just there to the design work really is it plays off of like old woodcut illustrations and old like you know when you look at old manuscripts and how they draw like demons and ghosts like it is that kind of a look and 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 i don't know i i feel like it works really well because it's juxtaposed 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 however it's pronounced juxtaposed with um thank you with modern day new york (laughs) in That backdrop of New York, but yeah, I, I don't. Know, I just I found it very scary. Like, do you do you think your daughters would enjoy the show? Um, during the day, I think they'd mm-hmm.
1: find it interesting. I don't know if they would enjoy it though. I don't. I, it's not their kind of show.
0: Well, no. I don't know. Do you think you they know, would I, enjoy the movie?
1: They wouldn't enjoy the movie at this age. The the, the, mm-hmm. the kid, I mean, there are kids that this age. They're nine and seven that I'm sure would love Ghostbusters. Um, My kids aren't those kids. Uh, What about the show is
0: not there, not what they're into?
1: Well, I was going to say it's not what they're into, but um, (laughs) to bring up a program that, that uh, I hope you never see because I've talked about it so much. I hope Um, it's the odd squad. I hope it's the odd squad. I hope it's it's the odd squad. It's the odd squad. Um, So that's like the kids version of the X-Files. And so I, I might be thinking too quick here that it's not their cup of tea. They might get a kick out of it. Certainly, I think as I was watching it, um, part of me wanted to have them there because I wanted to kind of get the kid feedback as they're watching it. Because I'll be honest, um, I didn't have a great reaction watching these episodes um, as much as oh, no. I loved it as a kid. Um, I didn't really get into these episodes Um, there were, there were those creepy, cool moments. There were a couple funny bits, but overall I was, I was sort of let down and I kind
0: of wanted to, was it hard to get through, was it hard to get through a four? It was,
1: yeah. Like I, I didn't think it would take as long. It seemed like they were much longer than they were, (laughs) uh, to me, uh, uh, at this age. And I sort of wanted my kids there because I wanted to get a kid reaction to, to see if it, if they would have reacted to it the same way I did um so it really didn't hold up it didn't you. hold up for me no and i mean part of it too is just you know uh becoming more aware of pop culture and just having um a better sense of things like yes the that who's on first bit was was pretty funny but it was who's on first you know it's like i've uh, it's that again i've seen that bit uh, so many times <laughs> and so yeah. um there there was that aspect to it and then the voices too the, the the voice cast here are very well known and well used. And so I'm hearing Garfield and I'm hearing, uh, um, uh, The Brain from Pinky and the Brain. You know, I'm hearing,
0: is that Egon? Is that yeah.
1: Maurice LaMarsh? Okay, yeah, I so I
0: think why that was for
1: exactly. So and I, I think, I think Egon was the best voice work, I think Egon was the best, um sense of character that that matched what the movie was i think it might have even been that was maybe like the one character i think that was better in the cartoon uh oh. than the movie um huh my opinion did you have a different opinion
0: well um, it ties into something that i I was i was going to bring up um in in terms of these characters first of all i i love the voice work of all four characters and i actually really loved all five because i like janine's voice work as well i think yeah Janine was great it's i feel like it's very the opposite of cartoons at the time like none of the voices are going to get you like a cartoon voice normally has some sort of memorable energy even stuff like transformers and gi joe you know there's a campiness or or an over-the-topness every well janine i guess has a little bit of that Overdone stereotype of a voice, you know, the nasally New Yorker voice. But yeah, everyone else's voice work, I, I just, I was so impressed by. Like it really felt like the characters, it really felt like this ensemble and it underplayed lines. Like Lorenzo Music, who does Peter Venkman's voice and Garfield's voice, he's not doing Bill Murray, but I could hear that there were similar characters, you know, the dry sense of humor. And just sort of the tossing off of lines that both of them do. Uh is it Maurice Lur how is it pronounced Egon's voice there? Uh Lamarch. Lamarch. His 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 version of Egon, yeah, it's a very it kept reminding me of the I'm always serious line from the first Ghostbusters. It's emotionless, right. it's straightforward. Right. Uh Frank Walker, who's doing Ray dance. You know, he kind of has his voice. Always sounded like when Dan Aykroyd comes down the pole in Ghostbusters, he's like, "Does this pole still work?" And he's so <laughs> excited, like that feels to be like what he was channeling. Yeah. And then Winston's voice, which in the ones we saw was Arsenio Hall, he does something different from Ernie Hudson in that he he sounds a little younger. He sounds a little more working class. Let's do this, and a little bit like you know the the line I always think of with Winston is like, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say." That he says in Ghostbusters, and this Winston doesn't sound like this he no, kind of yeah. just sounds more like he's the one he's the straight man to the other three sort of right which is the role that ernie hudson had ernie hudson apparently from an interview i read auditioned for the <laughs> oh, role no. of Warren, um, did not get it <laughs> oh, man. with our Arsenio hall for like, three seasons then brought someone else and did not get the role and that would have made the role different True. i do wonder what the shit i don't think the show would have worked with any of the original actors no. quite frankly because yeah. it is a different show and this this brings up what i wanted to 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 ask and maybe we've already answered this so we'll see but there's another podcast that i listen to it's called um the canon have you ever heard of that podcast no sir i i only listen to our podcast So 20th Century podcast, You're familiar with that. Uh, Well, this is a podcast that is probably not familiar with us, but it's one of my favorite podcasts. It's hosted by a film critic. I think she works, does a film critiques for MTV now. She's written in other magazines named Amy Nicholson. And it's a podcast where they go through all these, they're building what's considered the cinematic canon. You know, what movies belong in the idea of great movies. And they, you know, so every episode they talk about a movie that they bring up you know, the, the, um, from the past and they decide, does, is this an important movie that belongs in the Canon or not? And actually very recently in the last couple of weeks, they discussed Ghostbusters. Uh, she, she had on Paul Shear, a comedian who does a bunch of other, uh, podcasts and they discussed Ghostbusters and, and, a, and what I wanted to bring up a point that she made, cause, uh, she did not sound to be that big of a fan of, of, of Ghostbusters. She felt that the characters in the original movie, the original Ghostbusters movie, that they weren't that defined, and that the personalities, when we think of that movie and we think of the personalities of those characters, what we're actually re- remembering is this cartoon, that the real Ghostbusters cartoon kind of informed who those characters are in our memory. Now, I I disagree with her, but I do think that the, I think that, um, you know, because I do think the film characters are developed, but I think there is an aspect of this cartoon that gives the film a larger sense of uh, of continuity and gives these characters more of a voice, more of a backstory, because there are more episodes. Right, right. You know, I think the film Ghostbusters was supposed to be a one time thing because repeating yeah. comedy movies is hard. But the characters and the concept were kind of big enough that, at least as a kid, you want to keep going with it, and you want right. to, you know, and it can repeat its storyline, but you want to stick with it. But as adults, you know, I think. Ghostbusters is is a one-time film. And you can see this because I feel like the cartoon definitely influenced Ghostbusters 2. Do you have a sense of the characters? I guess what I'm saying is like, do you remember the characters in the movie Ghostbusters or do you think this cartoon kind of overshadows them in a way as who they are? Uh, No, I don't think the cartoon overshadows. I'm not for me.
1: Um, As much as I did enjoy the, the cartoon, um, I never went back to it after I drifted away from it, but I've gone back to the movie time and time again. Um, so is that because the
0: movies was more easily available? Like the cartoon uh, wasn't That's true. That's
1: true. Yeah. That's, that's pro- plays a part. I'm sure. But I didn't have a desire. I wasn't seeking out the cartoon. And uh, I you know, when it came on, we watched it on Netflix. I didn't know it was on there until you told me. So it's, it's not, but that said I've searched for ghostbusters to see if that's streaming Uh, when I was in the mood to watch a Ghostbusters. Um, So no, these characters haven't overshadowed, uh, save for Egon. The design Mm -hmm. of the cartoon character, the the hair, the twirly hair that he has, um, he probably stands out. um, I I don't think that he overshadows the Egon from the film, but he certainly stands on his own. Um, He's a character Mm -hmm. that, like the other three in the cartoon... Are bland to me. They're just whatever. But Egon, really? Egon is it's his his own thing.
0: I think there's a big fandom for Egon. I think people, when they like Egon, they think of. I do think they think of this cartoon. I just I feel like the characters are very well developed. Like I really enjoy. I mean, it's odd to watch now and think they all live in the firehouse. <laughs> this is their life. But I just I really like their senses of character. And I think it's because we see, you know, with the cartoon, we're seeing it every day. So you see them do their job repeatedly. They weren't just, they didn't get together just to fight Gozer. This is their job. And even in um, the the Slimer Go Home episode that we watched, you've got, you know, they're all, they're planning a birthday party for Winston. And they're all excited, like, make sure he doesn't know. like, this idea of this, this kinship is really there, which is in the movie as well. But I don't know. I This cartoon, I got a little sad almost watching it and I wanted to ask you this I think for different reasons but the like the nostalgia of this show I was a little sad because I remember this show being a big deal and it and it did it hit me that way like watching it it, again watching it now I'm like this is not like any other show I remember and these characters are very I felt well-rounded I wanted to be any of them or know any of them like I liked all four of those Ghostbusters and I liked Janine and I just that setup of those characters and I the original Ghostbusters movie, yes, I've seen that more than the cartoon, and I know it backwards and forwards, and I love it, and it's well made, and that's worth talking about. But this cartoon, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Ghostbusters the movie is hilarious and the characters the actors are funny in that movie. This cartoon, I feel like the characters are hilarious and the characters are interesting in the show. And I feel like that's I I feel like that's very different. Hmm. And I, I think that's true. And I guess the sadness, I was going to ask you, do you get sad? Does nostalgia ever get you down or make you sad? Because watching this this morning, and I think it's also just where I am at my life right now, it really got me yearning for that 1986, 87 little period. Sure. Because I realized Ghostbusters as a bigger thing meant a lot to me. Yeah. I'm in the middle of a job hunt right now, and I'm watching the show. That was like, that was the first job I wanted? Wow. So that's there. But also just I do remember this cartoon being such different, so different from anything else I knew. And I miss that, you know, I miss having an experience like that. But did the fact that the show didn't hold up for you, does that, does that get you down? Is that, or does nostalgia in general, do you ever have this bitter sadness that comes with reliving something from your past? Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, for sure. You, you wish you had um, done more, you know, with it, maybe it, it depends on what it is, of course, but you, you wish you could go back and, and do that again or have a better appreciation for it when it was available um, you, you wish you had kept it with you that de- again, depending on what it could be. I didn't have that reaction to, to rewatching these episodes. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I, I was, I wasn't sad. I was disappointed that it wasn't as, uh, entertaining as I was hoping it was going to be. Um, I started the night thinking, oh, I, I maybe I want to watch more of these episodes uh, with my kids because it's too late. They can't watch it tonight, but maybe we can watch some tomorrow. Uh, and then at the end, I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't need to watch these with my girls. I didn't have that pull. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe I never really had uh, as much as I watched it as a kid. Maybe it just wasn't the thing I was drawn to as a kid. And therefore as an adult, um, I'm, I'm just fully
0: realizing that. I I think you have, or I know you have a different filter with nostalgia that I don't. And it's this sharing, you know, you constantly talk about wanting to, are you going to share this with your kids? I know we've said this before, but that, that must be an added filter to how you perceive this nostalgia. And you, and I don't know, can you, you probably can't turn that off. Like that probably influences, or it sounds like that is on your mind with anything you watch. How would your daughters react to this? Yeah, that's true. And it's, because it sounds like it sounds like the show itself let you down. But what really maybe let you down, and correct me if I'm just <laughs> making a point to try to make points, that you can't, that you wouldn't share this with them because they wouldn't like it. Um. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that might be part of the
1: letdown is that this won't be something I'll be able to share with them. And maybe I could, you know, like. But my initial reaction while watching it was, no, I'm not gonna force them to watch it. I'm not going to encourage them to watch it. I'm, I, cause, cause also I don't want to like bring it to them and, and have it be something like, Oh God, dad, why'd you make me watch that? Because then when we get to the next thing that I really want them to watch, um, I don't want them to immediately be like, Oh, it's going to be crappy. Like that real ghostbusters thing. And I don't want to watch it. So yeah, part of me is, is sort of uh, keeping that in mind as I'm watching this stuff. It's like, is this, do I want to risk introducing them to this? Because I don't want to turn them off to the things that I like or liked as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm probably, yeah, I can't turn that off. And I'm sure that's influencing my reaction to it. But at the same time, I just, yeah, there was just, t- to me, the, the, the higher concept of ghostbusting and the ghostbusters and these characters and an ongoing story is fantastic and I love it. These particular episodes, and maybe the episodes get better, but these particular episodes just didn't grab me and, and bring me back to that youth. I wasn't excited. I, I didn't want to have my, my sugary cereal and, and and sit there and watch a whole bunch of these based on these four. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I I loved it, and I, and I would watch more. It's weird. I, I did stop watching the show as a kid. Like, it was a big deal for me for about two years, and then I think part of it was Peter's voice changed. Eventually, Lorenzo Music was fired from the role, supposedly because Bill Murray said, that doesn't sound anything like me. Oh. And they brought in Dave Coulier of Full House fame, came in and he does Peter Venkman's voice and he's doing kind of a Bill Murray impression. Yeah, And it just didn't have the same feel for me because it's a little more animate. I don't know if that's why I stopped watching it. but
1: It's interesting that the, the rumor is that, that Bill Murray didn't think uh, that Lorenzo Music sounded like him. And then over the course of time, so Lorenzo Music voiced Garfield, and then he goes on in this cartoon to voice Peter Venkman, uh, who was played by Bill Murray, and years later, Bill
0: Murray is voicing Garfield. (laughs) I, I really enjoy Lorenzo Music's voice. Like, I just, every... Every part of this show I felt like was firing in full cinders when it started, and I really caught that in the Mrs. Rogers Neighborhood episode, the one where Peter's possessed. Like, I really remember that episode. It's a show that did not lend itself to watching four in a row. (laughs) That was a little tiring, I will say that. There's no difference. (laughs) The last one, which we didn't even talk about, the troll episode, that's a little different, but... Yeah, that doesn't work well, but you know, watching this one a day, as I probably did during the week, or watching it weekend to weekend, this was a big deal, and and I was very excited to go back to it. Happy to go back to it, and um, you know, I think, like you said, it's a big concept, and Ghostbusters means a lot to me, and it's interesting that it's because of seeing it as a kid, and the experience of it as a kid, and it's what I hope, you know, I was kind of hoping with the new one, kids would see that, and that would have the same impact. I don't know if it did, but I don't know. it's just it's a good idea, a good concept. It's a good people working together to do something I don't know i I was very happy to see this in, and I will watch more, just not yeah, four in a row, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, I won't be going back to it, not for a while but but I do
0: agree with you, I love the higher concept of it, all right. <laughs> Well, I know we're about to wrap up. Do, we, do you have time to do one more thing? Something we haven't done in a while? Uh, sure. It'd be 30 seconds of your I life abso- and then we'd be I absolutely them. love being put on the spot. Right? A little segment we've done in the past, something called a pop five. Okay. It's the kind of thing where we give one of, our, one of us 30 seconds. We uh-huh. ask them to off the top of their head rattle off a list of five versions, five of something. Okay. From, uh, from their youth. I have have a hard enough time, yeah, absolutely
1: time for this, but I I have a hard enough time just forming words off the top of my head, but let's do this.
0: Well, this will involve some words. Um, I I guarantee you that. So what we're going to do, let me get the clock set. This top five today, uh, the real Ghostbusters animated cartoon was based on a live-action property from our youth. I'm going to ask if you can name five cartoons from childhood that you watched or knew of that were also based on on live-action properties.
1: Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Go. This is very difficult for me, Tim. Live-action. Well, uh, Star Trek was a cartoon. Uh, based yes. off of live-action. Um, and then there was Brady Bunch cartoon. Uh, based off you ever the see TV it? show. We'll count it, but yeah. Do Do I have to see them? I thought I just had to know. No. Thirteen be aware seconds. Of them. Um. uh Oh my gosh, I'm blank. There's so much pressure. Three, two. Oh my God.
0: One. Oh, there we go. That's the one. That's the worst. Sorry. That's well, a, you, that's you, you a terrifying two, feeling. The pressure of 30 seconds?
1: The, the pressure of 30 seconds and a topic I had no f- uh, time to think
0: about. Yeah, that's hard. I would not yeah, be good on a game show. Hard. Well, not if the game show was a 30 second one where they said name <laughs> five shows based on. <laughs> properties what well, what else is there um, tim if, i'm sure you've got a list well i got a little list here and i will say i, I did put this up from memory but i, I didn't have the pressure of the clock so maybe this doesn't count um like i said real ghostbusters was one of the first ones i saw the year before that a droids ewok adventure hour premiere there was a cartoon based on droids Do you know cartoon, i've never C-3PO? seen the droids cartoon that is worth going back to because for some reason as the first thing outside of First, like, animated Star Wars thing ever. I did not watch a lot of it as a kid. We'll we'll check that out sometime because I don't know if that holds up. Okay. Um, there was a Rambo in the Forces of Freedom cartoon Holy based on the movie crap, Rambo. Holy crap, really? There was a Chuck Norris in his Karate Commandos cartoon based on Chuck Norris. Okay. There was a Robocop cartoon, a Mr. T in the T-Force cartoon, Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster. The computer Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley, who was a Martin, uh, Martin Short character from SCTV. I Had didn't know that cartoon existed. It's a pretty funny cartoon, hard to find clips of. And then getting into the 90s, there was a Little Shop of Horrors cartoon, an uh, Ace Ventura cartoon, and uh, one based on the movie The Mask. But yeah, those are just a few. But yeah, pretty pretty big
1: <laughs> legacy Gary Coleman
0: live action. The Gary Coleman Show. Yeah. That's probably one um i don't uh the the dana plato show did that go anywhere did that take off don't don't think so i don't know all right well we'll be talking dana plato next week i'm (laughs) sure on topics that deserve it but uh that's the show for this week thank you thank you bob yeah no problem i'm
1: i'm disappointed we didn't get to point this out so i'll point it out real quick so we've done another look back at cartoons and there was another episode that involved a surprise birthday party so uh oh, i, right. I like that, that was... string i like that that we kept kept that going and we're not Great trying to parties. we're not trying to do that we're not uh no.
0: researching that but way to go good choices yeah no we uh it's true the very first episode ever uh we did a voltron and that had a birthday party the he-man episode had a birthday in this one good point yeah. really glad i wasted time <laughs> talking about Dan play <laughs> i almost missed that <laughs> Um, Thank you for listening to 20th Century Pop. And if you want to continue hearing the show, if you like the show, you can always check us out at 20popcast.com. That's the main website. Episodes go up on Thursdays. Plus, I try to post some other information there, things to read. You can always subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, blurberry burberry however that's pronounced uh you can find links of to all of those in the show notes subscribe we'll get a new episode every time it airs you can follow us on instagram it's my instagram account uh subcultist at subcultist i try to post a lot of pictures relevant to upcoming episodes i
1: love that account that's yeah everybody should follow that account it's a lot of fun a lot of great pictures that uh you might not have
0: known existed I like the Huey Lewis and Madonna one. Uh, You can follow me at Subcultist on Twitter. I try to keep everyone uh, up to date on what's going on through that. And when this episode airs... um I, I believe it'll be the beginning of May. I, guess I should have checked the calendar. May 11th, for those of you who I know, who are friends who are in the Cambridge or Somerville or Boston area, at the Lilypad, it's an art space in Emmons Square on Cambridge Street. I'm part of a festival called the Digipendant Film Festival. It's four uh, video artists are showing some of their work. I'll be showing some scenes from my never-released uh, self-produced Film substitute culture it's a lot more than just me that produced that that sounded very selfish but i'll be showing some scenes from substitute culture there please come check it out it's five dollars at the door i would love to have an audience
1: i hate that i'm not going to be able to attend being you don't think you can make it down it's at eight o'clock at night i would love to i don't know if i can get there in time driving cross country
0: that's like five o'clock your time oh that's brush hour i see what you mean where can people find you? Uh,
1: people people can uh, uh, follow me on Twitter as well, at RH Canning. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to have some people um, like us on Facebook and comment. And we've got some nice conversations going on over there, uh, other people reminiscing on the topics we're talking about. So that that's, uh, I
0: encourage people to do that. Um, any news on, on – you've got the My Exaggerated Life comic strip. You also have your mixtape – Go, go blog whose name I'm. I would, I mean, they're always mentioned in the show notes. Seriously, people, I would check it out. Last week we had a pretty good Huey Lewis in the News episode that was kind of based entirely on Bob's knowledge <laughs> of music and Huey Lewis. Check out his blog. It's, uh, what is it called? Mixtape? It is
1: super ultra megamix.wordpress.com. Super ultra mega
0: com. That's super ultra mega mix. <laughs> I can't even say it. I fucked it up. <laughs> but you said it. Please check that out. Yeah, check I don't know it, it out. It's a lot, lot of fun. Uh,
1: if you don't know, I'm re-listening to mixtapes I've made uh, starting in the, the, the oldest one I was able to find was from 1997, and I'm listening through them as chronologically as I can figure them out, uh, because I didn't actually put a date on any of these, and uh, uh, we're into the 2000s.
0: Yes, we are. And so is your, your your blog. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Yes, we're in the year 2000. All right, I'm gonna go apply to Ghostbusters International. Uh, probably have to fudge the resume a little bit because it's a lot of customer service uh, angles. But I do know a thing or two about Ghost. Uh, you know, I was trying to think of the lyrics from the song. The, 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 you know what? Catchphrase.